Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vish Want and Partha. We're back with our college football sprint, the last one before the holidays and following the most eventful college football weekend we've had so far. Uh, The first topic we got to cover is this Big Ten championship game. I think we all went into this game with high expectations because we thought that Ohio State was going to have to put together a dominant performance to be able to win. Unfortunately, the game was a lot closer. Pat Fitzgerald put together a great game plan, and a lot of people were left with some questions uh, about Ohio State after this game. Zach, what did you see from the standpoint of adjustments that were specifically made? I know there were a lot of assistant coaches that were out yeah. for this due to COVID, in addition to Olave and a, and a lot of key defensive players as well. Um, how do you make those kinds of adjustments? All right, Zach, let's get this thing kicked off. We got some college football sprint on the Pilot Boys podcast this week. This is Christmas week. It's the week after our Big Ten Championship game. You know, we've had a lot of talk about the Ohio State-Northwestern matchup. Can you give us some quick color on your take in terms of what we saw on Saturday? I mean, I think what we saw, and we can talk about two things, right? What we saw on Saturday and then what we heard from Saturday until Sunday afternoon. Because they're two different stories, right? One was Ohio State didn't play many games, you know, by some people. I was actually surprised. I saw Paul Paul Feinbaum come out and say Ohio State deserves to be in the playoffs. I was like, I like checked my feet to make sure they weren't frozen because hell froze over. But, (laughs) But, you know, people are freaking out about this game because Ohio State didn't blow out Northwestern because I think people thought that was the expectation. In reality, this was a game where they beat a highly ranked conference championship opponent by double digits. That's a quality win, right? Especially right. considering the adversity that they went through all year and to finish out the season, getting those games canceled, the, the rivalry game canceled, so much going on, and they still come out and win by double digits. That should be the story. But unfortunately, it's not, and there were some concerning things, right? So I start on the defensive side of the ball. What we saw was Pat Fitzgerald put together a masterful game plan. They were trading and shifting tight ends. They were getting out of in, in, the, in the wildcat, out of the wildcat, motioning the quarterback out, motioning him back in, doing all kinds of things to try to get the defense to you know maybe misalign. And then they'd hit a, a man sweep on the perimeter. So they did a number of things in the first half that hurt Ohio State. And then it, it all came down to halftime adjustments. And the defensive staff went in, made the um, um, unbelievable adjustments. They got it figured out. They coached up their guys. And then when they rolled back out, they didn't allow a point. They shut the shit down. So you got to give the defense, I'll say, a, a, a B plus because they you don't want those issues early, but you just need to get them fixed, right? Yeah. So on so, the specifics of those halftime adjustments, Zach, I know a lot of the assistant coaches, a, a few were missing due to the, the COVID restrictions. Do you have some insights as to which ones are missing? And then from the standpoint of inside a locker room at halftime, how do you go about making those adjustments if certain key folks are missing? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know who if, if anyone on defense was missing. I know Madison was out the two games before. Hartline was out for sure. Hartline was out on offense for sure. But um, defensively, I'm not sure. But but if a guy's out, you know, you have GAs and you have coordinators that can fill in for, for that it. position, Coach. Because ultimately, I mean, you literally have four minutes with your guys. It's not like you have a 30-minute break to really coach your guys up like a full meeting. It is chaos. I mean, the lock or the locker room's insane. I mean, you go in there the first like eight minutes you're together as a coaching staff, or really six minutes probably, trying to figure out what happened, 
what what's hurting you, how you can get it fixed and make a plan moving forward. Then you sprint to get with your guys. You got maybe five minutes with your guys to kind of tell them the plan, get things corrected. And then you got to go back on the field. It feels to a fan. It feels like an eternity to a coach. You're like, holy shit. Like that felt like a timeout. You yeah, know what wow. I mean? Yeah. So it's not that hard. If like, if I was missing, it would not have been hard for Ryan day to just get with the quarterbacks and receivers quickly to buzz the, the bullet points, right? They've already been prepared all week by their position coach. It's not, it's not a huge loss um, outside of a set of eyes and another opinion, but it was phenomenal. The, the defensive adjustments were great. They, they got it all figured out. They didn't do much different in the second half. They just, I guess, lined up and played things better. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. So yeah. as you look at, you know, how we came out in the second half, I mean, obviously a lot more dominant in the second half, despite so the the fields injury that happened in the game. I think that's something we should talk about as well. It looked like after the game, he said he feels like he sprained his wrist. Um, did you see when that happened in the course of the game? Because I yeah, totally missed that. Yeah, there was a play where he kind of was uh, scrambling, kind of went towards the sideline and one of the sideline refs and not refs, the, the chain chain crew, the chain gang. He yeah. like saw him come and drop the chain, the the, chain the yeah the the, the pi <laughs> pillar. Well, I don't even know what you call him. I should I should know yeah. this. But he dropped it. Fields kind of tripped on it and put his hand down, and they said sprained his thumb. I haven't heard if it's broken or any, I haven't really paid it, heard any updates yet. But yeah, it's kind of just a fluke thing. Almost yeah. like it reminded me of when JT got his knee injured by a camera guy. It was just like yeah. kind of a random thing that happens in football. Then and, and I think that attributed a little bit to to how Fields struggled because that's what we saw on offense, right? Justin Fields had his worst game as a Buckeye. It happens, right? People are going to freak out and say, oh, the his two worst games were against their two best opponents in Indiana and Northwestern. The only caveat to it is that we've seen him play exceptional against elite talent, better, better than Indiana and Northwestern. Last you know, year. It's so funny that you say his two worst games were against Indiana and Northwestern because even the argument that one could make that's like, hey, he struggled against good teams. Historically, Indiana and Northwestern would be the easiest matchups. Yeah. Well, I, one thing that I will say is that I think the, the, when we give somebody too much praise without understanding their position or their situation, this is what Ryan Day's second season as a head coach. Um, and, and yes, there were some, some issues in terms of game plan. I thought he was being a little bit stubborn with how well our running game was going. It felt like instead of just continuing to hammer that home, it was like he kept wanting to try to get back to the passing game. For me, that was one of the things that was kind of frustrating as I was watching it was like, I understand that we had a game plan, but let's adjust and focus on what's working. And it felt like we kept trying to establish the pass when it wasn't it didn't look like it could be established. Yeah, that's one of the, I think it's one of those things. It's a decision as a coach, right? You're in the Big Ten Championship game. You're playing this game, and you have a good feel for, we're going to win this game. Like, you have a good feel for the defense is starting to play better, right? The offense certainly is running the ball well. You know that push come to shove in the fourth quarter, you can find a way to win the game if you have to. You're yeah. trying to open up all the floodgates of your offense and get them to click. Because even past game struggles, sometimes you just got to fight through it and keep pushing through it, and then they start clicking, and all of a sudden, Ohio State goes on a four-touchdown run, and they win by 28. You know what I mean? I think that's what he was looking to do, was just just keep feeding the horse, and eventually it'll run. And, and it, you know, you could, anybody could be critical of, well, did he did he try too long, or did he, did he abandon it too quick? You know, there's always those conversations, but ultimately what happened was 
he ended up going to Trey Sermon in the run game with enough time to make this a double-digit victory and Trey Sermon to run for more yards than Eddie George or anyone else in Ohio State history. Yeah, so I didn't yeah. think he, I really didn't think he waited too long to run the ball every play. Shout that boy out real quick, Trey Sermon. My <laughs> God, thank you for I'm, doing a Masters at Ohio State, my friend. I'm telling you what, and and it's just you know by and also a shout out to Justin Hilliard too because that kid's been through everything. Um, and I thought he played the most complete game we've seen as a linebacker at Ohio State in a long, long time. Well, he's been doing it all year. He just doesn't play a lot, which, you know, yeah. you, you can ask other people why. But he, he comes out against Rutgers, his first game. He missed the first two games, plays against Rutgers, and he's the number one rated linebacker in the country uh, off of that one game. And then he played really well in all the other games, but he, he just was never given the nod at middle linebacker for God knows what reason. I've been talking about it for two years. We just keep rolling with other players that I won't bring up. but. All of a sudden, he goes out there, plays plays linebacker, and he's damn near the, the player. He is the player of the game. I mean, that yeah. interception he had in one on one coverage was—I mean, it's just yeah. this kid. This kid deserves to play. That's all I know. He needs to be on the field more than he is, and he showed that on Saturday. And that's what's awesome about opportunities, right? He yeah. got one and seized the shit out of it. Yeah, I just want to highlight on Northwestern. Um, I don't like to give shine to players on opposing teams, but this guy deserved it. Uh, the corner on Northwestern, yeah. the the rookie, the freshman who had that one-handed interception in the end zone. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was crazy. That was unbelievable. And I even, you know, it's one of those things, like, obviously, it was an underthrown ball, and uh, so you can blame Fields for that. And I saw even on uh, Get Mossed, Randy Moss and whoever he's yeah, on. Yeah, they there, put it on there. They yeah. put it on there, and he made a great point. Like, that's Garrett Wilson's job to not let that happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you jump for the ball, you don't just wait on the ball. You attack the ball. Yeah. And so he, 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 he kind of fades away, and the kid made a ridiculous catch. But I mean, that's that's on just Justin could have prevented that underthrows happen. Garrett's got to go go at least break it up or yeah, make him. He's I mean, he's a freak. He might have made a spectacular catch, but he kind of let the ball come to him. And and so that's a great teachable moment for him. Right. A great opportunity for Brian Hartline to coach him, develop him and teach him off of that moment. But yeah, freak show play, though. Yeah. yeah. And do you think there's some element like I felt this for sure in sports where it's like, if I was not the best player on a team, but there was somebody else who was usually, you know, the one A, and all of a sudden I'm the one A. There's always a little bit. It's uncharacteristic because you might be aggressive as hell every time the ball comes your way when you're one B, but when you're one A, it's just a different mentality that can lead to a little bit of that. So, do you think Olave missing could have that mental effect, or you think, um, you know, Mr. Wilson is is kind of better than that? I think he's better. I think both probably, um, but he's been, you know, th that's. Those situations, a receiver, you never really have to worry about being being one or two, right? A or A or B, because your top two guys are are, are A or could be the A guy at any on any snap, right? So yeah. now, if you talk about that Julian Fleming stepping in the limelight, I think that's a much bigger deal, right? Yeah. A guy that's used to playing six, seven snaps a game, all of a sudden is find himself in the rotation regularly. That's, that's a whole nother ball of wax. I think he played really well, also for a true freshman. And it was it was really good to see because they they need depth. They need depth developed, and they need to roll with some depth to make a run at some of these teams. I mean, to think that Chris Olave is going to play 65, 70 snaps against an Alabama corner, Pat Sertain, it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, he's not going to be very good because he's not fresh. And well, so I, I think you bring up a good point. This is the first game that we really saw them give a heavy dose of Trey Sermon, and we saw how good this this kid is. And it's important, I think, as we move forward, Zach, the thing that you were kept harping on is that 
we've got more talent than Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. We need to give some of these other guys opportunities. And when you go and you play a Clemson, other guys are going to need to step up because they've got a great defensive coordinator and he's going to take away what you want to be able to do. So you better have some other, other tricks in your bag. Well, and you know, it's, you never know the real reason. I mean, I, I believe that it's it's kind of a, a formula for why Trey Sermon didn't break out earlier, but it's awesome to see that he did break out because I thought he should have been playing more early, but he also, I think, finally is feeling confident in that that injury recovery, right? And and the other the one position group that I'm still baffled that is not getting more involved, especially in that scenario, is the tight end group. I mean, I think we have Ohio State has two NFL tight ends in Luke Farrell and Jeremy Rucker, and why they're not playing more. And, and they're, I'm sorry, they're playing a ton. They're just not getting, they're not getting the ball ever. And it's like why they weren't a, a critical piece of that game plan is, is a little head scratching to me. So I think when they play a great defense that can run with Chris Olave and jump with Garrett Wilson, they're going to need other people to help. I think we found one in Trey Sermon, getting him involved in the pass game, screen game, run game. And now if they can just incorporate some tight ends into the offense, you're talking about sideline to sideline, coast to coast. You got a lethal offense. Yep. Yeah. Great point. Now, I want to ask you, Zach, did Trey Sermon do enough to get himself into the draft, into the NFL draft? Um, you know, it's like anything else. I watched Cardale Jones play three games and they were talking about he was a first rounder quarterback. And, and so for a running back, these storylines write themselves. He, he does that in that game. And you think about Ezekiel Elliott's last three games against Wisconsin, Alabama, Oregon. I mean, just ridiculous. So yeah. it depends what he does, right? If he just has a flash in the pan one game, you say uh, I, he, he'll be drafted, but probably not that high. If he goes on a run, let's say they beat Clemson, he runs his runs like Zeke did all over the field. And then he, then he does it again in the final game. Now you're talking about the kids, probably a first rounder, right? Cause the three biggest games, no one cares how he runs against Rutgers. They really yeah. don't. They want to know how's he run against Alabama or Clemson or, or in the yeah. big 10 championship. So I think he made a, a case that if he continues to do it, he's a high draft pick. If not, I think the kid needs to come back. Yeah. That's a really good point, man. Could he come back? Does he have, the Oh yeah. Everybody, everybody can come back because of COVID. You, anyone can come back. Oh really? Yeah, no, no eligibility restrictions. This year doesn't count. Yeah. Wow. Anyone who I wants to come that. back once can come back. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a game changer. Okay. Well, that's exciting for me as an Ohio State fan looking into next year. Right. We could have this entire team back. Now, I don't think I don't think he's gonna come back. Let's just put yeah. that out there. But he could, <laughs> and I think he should, unless he just goes off. <laughs> yeah. And if he does, then by all means take your, Go get your money. Pick, get your signing bonus. Go get your money. That's amazing. So moving into, I had one more question on Northwestern's offense. Um, you mentioned the Wildcat uh, lineup, and then they were switching a lot. Is that something they did all season? Or were some of these tactics new for Ohio State just to keep us on our toes? Um, they, I mean, they, they definitely had done it. Never like never liked that, that that amount. But it, it's something that, that Pat Fitzgerald kind of had in his in his back pocket when they played a team that, that outmatched them with personnel, right? When they played a team with better players, they needed to find an edge, and that was his edge. And, you know, Northwestern's a solid team. They haven't really played a team with that much superior talent as Ohio State has. So I think it was kind of his game plan to say, all right, now we're going against the big boys. It's time to roll out everything we have. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. So moving into the playoffs, uh, we got our committee rankings over the last few days. How do you feel about uh, how things lined up? We've got Clemson in the first round, which I think was what we said we thought would happen if we won and if 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 Clemson won. 
Um, what's your take on how everything lined up, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually happy that it happened this way, and I think if, if it was a close game, Ohio State would be playing Bama, and it'd be a much much harder road to try to win it all. Although you know, it's going to run through Bama eventually, anyways. But you'd like to not play them first. Um, so I, I think it's the storybook matchups that the 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 CFP wanted. They wanted the Bama Notre Dame 2012 rematch. They wanted the Clemson Ohio State from last year rematch. This is exactly what they wanted, and they didn't need to fudge things to to make it happen, right? They didn't need to like come up with some BS line like they did last year to make it happen. It just happened naturally. Clemson blew out Notre Dame. Great reason to put Notre Dame at four. Slide Clemson up to two. Ohio State didn't play great, so why would they be ranked ahead of Clemson, right? It the results fueled what the CFP wanted. So I feel good about the matchup uh, for for Ohio State and Clemson. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm worried. I think Clemson might be the better team overall. And Ohio State's going to have to click on all cylinders to, to make this happen, which unlike last year, we haven't really seen them do yet. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, Texas A&M had a, a legitimate gripe? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they, they played a full college football schedule and lost to the best team in the country. And I hate to break it to everyone. I really think everyone in the country right now, well, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio state week two or three, whatever it was, would have lost by 28 to that Bama team that the team you're watching now, plus Jalen Waddle, the better receiver, right? Devonte Smith should win the Heisman. He's actually the favorite to win the Heisman. And they had Jalen Waddle who was better de- than Devonte Smith. So I think, yeah, anyone who- you know, and I have a, I have a lot of, a lot of eggy, eggy fans uh, who are friends, yeah. um, and they they just they think that they should be in over Ohio State and Notre Dame. That Texas A and M had a better argument. Then I said, wait a minute, just just let me go look at your schedule. Right, they play two ranked opponents all year: Florida, Texas. I mean, in Alabama, they beat Florida uh, by a field goal. But if you look at the the rest of their schedule, they played the bottom feeders like Arkansas, Auburn the Vanderbilts, the bottom feeders of the, of, of the conference. And the truth is if Ohio state would have had those two games that weren't canceled to COVID, no one thinks that they were going to lose either one of those games. So you're talking about eight and zero versus eight and one. Don't tell me just because you played an sec schedule that your schedule is tougher. You have to dig deeper than that. The, the schools that they played in the sec outside of Florida and Alabama were pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but it's also like calling Michigan the bottom feeder of the, of the Big Ten. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, LSU can beat anyone. You saw LSU beat Florida just yeah. the week before the SEC championship game, so they played LSU and handled them. Now, yeah. was LSU bad this year? Yes, but they could beat anyone, just like yeah. Michigan could. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, but yeah, I mean, if Ohio State plays nine games, we're not having the conversation, but they only played six. Yeah. And you've seen Ohio State lose games to Purdue, uh, Iowa. Yep. Some of these teams were like, it could have happened. And not playing doesn't mean, well, well, they should have won, so they, they would have won. It's like, no, you don't know that. If Justin Fields play like he did on, on Saturday and the defense doesn't make those adjustments, they could have lost to anybody in the regular season. Yeah, it, it came down to the money. I mean, Notre Dame, I think you have to evaluate them for how they performed. I know you're not supposed to hold history against them, but how they consistently perform in big games on these big stages they always underachieve and and no one's expecting Alabama to leave that game without a double, you know, two or three touchdown win. It would have been nice to to see Texas A&M in there, but Notre Dame did have an argument and that argument held water enough to put them in over, over A&M in, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they, 
the only issue you have with Notre Dame is they got kind of blown out in the in the conference title game. That left a, left a bad taste in your mouth. They also beat Clemson. They have the best win on on in the country by beating Clemson. I mean, Clemson's the number two team in the country, and they've only have one loss to Notre Dame. So, um, I think, like you said, history is, is going to hurt the image of Notre Dame. But if if it was Oregon that did the same exact thing, you'd be like, "Ooh, Oregon should be in." Yeah. <laughs> but because it's Notre Dame, you're like, "I don't know. They always suck in the playoffs." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I'll I'll say this too. I think it's probably a little more desirable to you know maybe win your bowl game than to lose immediately to Alabama. Yeah, that's for sure. But the, the reality of these these big programs now, like the top ten programs in the country, if you're not playing the CFP, it's just a game. It's a game for for the NFL draft. It's a j- game for pride because you just love playing. Nobody gives a shit about being the Fiesta Bowl champ. Nobody, not a player or coach, not one of them. Yeah. I promise you, they just a kid might be trying to put you know do his thing right to put it on tape for the NFL, or they might just love playing and like the fans and like playing the game. That's that's why they'll go play, and then that's why you see so many kids opt out because they're like, if we're not playing for it all, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's a good point. So should we talk about Cincinnati, who got really a rough end of the stick here? Yeah, they did. I mean, it's 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 a shame that we have the people we have voting on the playoffs rankings because, in my opinion, it's really simple, right? If you lose, you screwed up. It's not the committee's job to fix it for you. Don't fucking lose. It's that simple, right? And Cincinnati didn't lose. And yet still we're watching Florida's and A&M's and these teams be ahead of them. And it's like, all right, I'll give you A&M. They lost to Bama. But some of these other schools that are ahead of Cincinnati, it's like you scratch your head like, are we serious right now? Yeah. Now, besides all that, they got the matchup I wanted. Georgia-Cincinnati in the bowl game is exactly the matchup I wanted. Because now it's put up or shut up, right? You go beat the shit out of Georgia. Now we're talking. And now you can kind of middle finger to the playoff committee like, yep, we're going to like the Utah did in whatever 2004, right? Yeah. Undefeated all the way through, didn't put them in the in the CFP. They go to the Fiesta Bowl and blow out Pitt, who was the ACC champion at the time. UCF did it too a couple years ago, too. Yeah, right? they beat Georgia. UCF yeah. beat Georgia. Yeah. It's always a fun day to watch Georgia lose. Always. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, what about, uh, you know, as we're getting into the end of the season, uh, we have been talking about Devontae Smith for Heisman. You just mentioned it a little bit earlier. And, you know, we have a suspicion that it was because of your, you know, your conversation on this podcast, and other podcasts, <laughs> Zach, that that's why he's he's so in the conversation. How do you see that race panning out as we're getting into? <sighs> I mean, it's a unique year, right? It's a different year. And what better year to have the first receiver ever to win the Heisman than be the COVID 2020? And if there is a, I mean, there, he's the best player in the country. If the, I don't, my problem is I don't know what the award's for anymore. For the past like 10 years, it's been for the best quarterback in the country politically, or maybe a running back if he runs for 2,500 yards. That's what the, that's what the award's been. It's not been the best player in the country. Otherwise, Chase Young would have won it. Um, Dwayne Haskins would have, would have been in the conversation. Like, you know, that's just not what the award's been. Now, I think, I mean, Vegas tells us right now he's the favorite. So he's, he should win it. Um, and I think he, he, he absolutely is the choice. I'll just be shocked if the voters actually vote for a receiver. I really will. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for him, man. That's wild. And, um, you know, one, one thing I wanted to kind of highlight before we get into prepping for Ohio state Clemson, um, 
This is probably something we'll discuss on news and notes as well, but there's a new athlete bill of rights that's been introduced uh, by Senator Cory Booker. And it's essentially just a uh, declaration. He, he compared the plight of student athletes in the NCAA to um, slaves and essentially wanted to outline, you know, basic rights to help them get paid. Um, wanted to get, I know you don't, you don't venture too deep politically, Zach, but just wanted to get your take in terms of what, what is the true experience of being an athlete? I think as somebody who didn't play college sports, uh, I would, I, I don't really have a lot of context as to the, the amount that you really have to commit from like a total life standpoint. Could you give some color in terms of, you know, how encompassing this is and maybe compare it to like what the pro experience is like? Yeah, I, so I, I read a little bit about it. I'm not. I don't want to say I'm an expert on on this bill that's been in, introduced, but it's, it's it sounds to me like it's like profit sharing amongst the college players, and I think that's just absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, the reality is these these athletes have been getting exploited for years. That's that's fact. I don't know that anyone could even debate otherwise. That the people the the old hat that are well, they get a free college education. Okay, cool. They're making millions of dollars for the university. They deserve more than that. I'm sorry, you hate to say it, but so I think that that the NCA is taking the right steps in in the letting athletes profit off their own name, image, and likeness. That is what they deserve, right? They are making all this money for the university. They should be able to use their own likeness to make it for themselves. Now, if you're going to get into profit sharing, you're talking about this is just a minor leagues. Like, don't even that now. Let's just don't make them go to class. Don't even go to college. Don't get degrees. Like, it's just the minor leagues at that point. So, I think there is something cool about being a, a college athlete, right? A collegiate athlete, a student athlete, and that's what. I think these kids can benefit from their names and make great money for them, their families. They can capitalize on this opportunity, grow their brand and platform. And But I, I would hate to lose that uniqueness and that experience of being a true student athlete that's not on salary. Like you, Name, image, and likeness is like on a Saturday, if you want to go shoot a commercial, you can get paid for it. That's different. You talk about a salaried employee. I'm, I'm not into that. And, and I think that most players would – would be fine with name, image, and likeness. That's going to be enough money with the stipends they get now, with the amount of money they get from, from the scholarships and traveling home. Plus you add in name, image, and likeness. Those kids will be very happy with that amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, just having the ability to monetize like the, the kicker, um, yeah, man, you, I don't yeah. know its name destroying though. Um, yeah. I mean, getting kicked off the team for having a YouTube channel that makes some money is, I mean, I don't know the I don't know the law, and you two are much smarter than me. But that that should be a suable offense. Like to tell me I'm a kicker that I can't go start a YouTube channel and make some money. Everyone else in the world can. I should be able to sue the shit out of you. That's just yeah. my opinion, and that's what name, image, and likeness is fixing. Right, the most ludicrous thing ever that a 20 year old can't go do a commercial and make money off of it. It's absurd. Well, I think you know my counter to that is this, and that's if that's the case, if we want to treat these kids like amateurs, then let's treat the rest of the program as if they're amateurs too. The head coach should get paid equivalent to what a college professor, because you're, you're bringing capitalism into why coaches get paid more than other college professors and employees do because of the revenue that's generated. You also have to, I'm not saying that they have to be paid directly, but most of these guys don't even make it to the NFL. The guys who are going to benefit the most from name, image, and likeness are the guys that are likely going to already make money going to the NFL and getting drafted and, and taking their career elsewhere. What some of the things that I liked in the bill was that 
they would never have to pay tuition again, no matter how far they went in their academic career, if they want to become doctors or lawyers or whatever, that that would continue to be covered. Some sort of retirement plan so that the guys who don't make it to the league, because it's also a dangerous dangerous sport that they're putting their life online and generating millions of the university, some sort of pension plan or something that let's say a guy doesn't go to the league, but he gives four years to university, say they win a national championship during those four years. You can cover some sort of pension 20, 30 years down the line. I feel like some of those steps, I agree with you, Zach, it does change the landscape if we just start giving these guys individual salaries, but there are other ways to get them to share this huge pie because if 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 Gus Malzahn can walk away from Auburn with a $21 million buyout for being bad, then more can be done to facilitate a better culture for the guys who are going on the field and actually doing the work to make all this money come in. Yeah, I think that's a good point, V. And you know, the only the only color I'd add there is that um I, I I would argue with the assumption that the name and image rights would only benefit those going to the league because in fact a lot of the people with successful YouTube channels, you know, social media profiles that that they build are not often the best or the biggest name athletes. So I think you're looking at kind of two different types of situations here, but um just the base premise that, you know, being a student athlete gives you additional value that you can monetize, right? So many go into finance or, you know, accounting or yeah, like Craig Krenzel owns a bunch of like car dealerships, right? In Columbus. I mean, just being able to leverage your name is a big deal when you're in college to be able to create job opportunities yourself. And, you know, just because you're a potential NFL athlete doesn't mean you're going to be set for life. Craig Krenzel is a great example. He's a huge name, didn't make anything playing football, but he has the name and now he's can profit off of it. But I, I I would challenge you with this because in my opinion, where, where they can do more is not, I don't, I'm, I mean, Sure, you want them to go get their doctorate for free. That's great. I'm with it. Like I think yeah. they should do that. It's no problem with that. But you start talking about the, the cutting them a paycheck, essentially, however you orchestrate it. These kids have an opportunity. They so they play football, right? They 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 blood, sweat, tears, all of it. Like they sacrifice for the university to make money. What they have is a platform like no one else in the world that they have to leverage. If they don't leverage it, fuck them. It's on them. That's stupid. If the coaches are telling you to leverage it, I could tell you right now, there's three kids that, that played for me that didn't play a snap, but they were, they were, you know, good players. They just didn't play a lot that right now are out of football, making good money simply because they played at Ohio state and made the right moves, right? There's players that are making 250 grand a year because they leveraged the Ohio state brand brand and platform and use connections from the program to get careers. So they, they got paid for playing football. Their, their career took off longer way quicker or further than it would have if they didn't play football i think the platform is it i mean to give a kid 200 grand because he plays football however you cut it whether it's uh you know every, any different way there's a million different yeah. ideas on how to do it i the think it's just in the danger in converting them to employees is on the flip side too if they don't perform then you cut them you can fire them they, right they lose their education and, and that's that's where college coaches make out right you will get fired if you don't win two years in a row right you're done your, your career could be over yeah. Now I'm with V. Like the amounts are just absurd. Twenty one yeah. million dollars. Come on, man. That's just stupid. Yeah. But head coaches get paid, let's say three million. You know, not Ohio State. They're going to make five six. But let's say two million dollars is the average uh, Power Five head coach's salary. That they get paid that because they're probably going to have a five year career, and that's your life's earnings in five years, right? Yeah. Well, I'll say the other flip too is like, what value do you bring to a program? And the the sad reality is like. 
coming out of high school into college at that age, there are a lot of people you could put in that position that would thrive with the coaching, the support system, you know, everything in that in that infrastructure designed to help you be great and successful. So very, very few of those players are actually irreplaceable compared to a coach who already has a reputation, already has a brand and is going to you know, have a meaningful financial effect on a fan base, which is yeah. why I think you see the deals how they are. Some of the deals are are bad deals, frankly, right? They just are. Oh, without a doubt. But I also don't agree with your point that these these players are replaceable. There's the reason that Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama are better than everyone else is because they have better quality players. And that's from the top to the bottom. And I don't think that you can just put any any guy and Zach, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There's a difference between putting guys into no matter how great the program is at Indiana, the fact that they don't have the same talent as some of these elite programs. Again, these guys are being recruited, you know, as sophomores, freshmen in high school, their talent is is significantly better than the other guys that are kind of going to these. You can't make a rule based on what's happening at the 1%. You have to look at the, the median and also the lower half of teams, right? Which is, you know, all your D3 NCAA schools. How do you compensate those athletes that actually don't have the same, you know, financial benefit for a university? Yeah. Challenges with any sort of rule here, right? It's a, it's a very nuanced landscape. Nobody's (laughs) disagreeing that athletes do need to get compensated better. No doubt. I think that even, even if they structured it in a way that, you know, like there are people who do um, work study and stuff like that. Additional ways to get them more money when they're while they're there, whether it's a stipend check or something like that without turning it into a salary. I think there's a lot more that can be done. Again, we're in capitalism. You base it on how much money is coming in. Who has rights to that money um, is, an, is always a case to be made there. And when you're arguing as 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 the labor, essentially without the players, this couldn't happen. There's more that can be done. I agree with Zach that we can't just turn these guys into salaried employees. But what the NCAA is doing and what college football has been doing to these kids for a long time has been robbery. Like not even letting them. So to not, we can't necessarily just put the trust in them when they haven't even let these guys make money off their own jersey sales and then no name image and likeness in the last 30 years you know right yeah no that's exactly it so you know it's interesting to see i think what was most exciting to me is that um you know there's different approaches from different sides of the aisle but the desire to compensate athletes better is a, is a very bipartisan issue and i think that's that's the real takeaway from uh, a headline like that is there's a lot of people working right now to make sure that college players have better rights and, and, you know, better ability to generate income. And I think that's a a trend in the right direction. And so, you know, we'll leave it to the politicians to figure out the means of being able to deliver that benefit. Yeah. I just think, I think ultimately, and the only thing I have a problem with in this bill is profit sharing. If you're going to do profit sharing with these athletes, you need to just cancel the whole thing and make it a minor league. It's just, you're talking about profit sharing, like checks to Trevor Lawrence because they made a bunch of money on a game. It's just like, what do you think about a minor league opportunity on the college football? So I've thought about this a lot because with what LeVar Ball tried to do in the basketball yeah. world, you know, it didn't work because his business partner stole a bunch of money, but it could have worked. Mm-hmm. I, I think here's the problem. Basketball is such a unique sport. Even baseball is such a unique sport. Football, there's so much that, that it is to do about great coaching and development. And kind of going back to the conversation we had earlier, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, 
Donovan Peoples-Jones goes to Ohio State, I and our program would have made him a ton of money. It just would have happened. The track record's there to prove it. And so I think, yeah, it is all about the great players. Can but you highlight that a little bit, Zach? Like, what would have been different? Well, he would have learned how to catch the ball better. I mean, he dropped <laughs> the ball all the time at Michigan. I mean, and, and you're watching the NFL, and he's killing it now. So he also would have been thrown the ball more. He also would have been featured more. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically once Ryan Day came in, because Michael Thomas probably is listening to this like, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I think that that just kind of speaks to, uh, I'm, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but that speaks to the value of the program and the coaches, right? Like, what is the value of a head coach in a program that's just churns out first rounder after first rounder? You could say it's just, they were great players. There's great players everywhere. It's not what it is. I mean, is Zeke, generationally talented yes is bosa yes so there's like what five or six outside of that this is like development paris campbell was not a great player coming out of high school he was talented but he got developed into whatever he was first second rounder or whatever i don't, don't even remember terry mclaurin like those guys were developed and so i think there there's value on the other side like what did they get out of it well you know what i would contend that a lot of these, not a lot of these players, there's injuries and things like that, but Terry McLaurin maximized being at Ohio State and made a shitload of money, and he's about to make a shitload more. Some guys didn't. That's on them. It's not on anyone else. They didn't take advantage of it. It's an opportunity. Right, right. I mean, I think I think that's a really good perspective. And I think, you know, for anybody who who is a player listening to this podcast, whether you're in high school, middle school, you have or college, you have aspirations of going pro or um, you know, anybody on that journey, I think the whole conversation is really a reminder that you have a lot of power in your hands, especially the second you sign up with the college team. You have power amongst that alumni base at the so very much. least and so much more around the fan base and the community surrounding the school. So there's a lot, especially if you go to a premier program with a very passionate fan base that you can create for yourself from an opportunity standpoint if you just take the time to look. And I just look, I just think about a guy that, that you guys know pretty well is Austin Mack. Now, granted, he was he was a really good player. So this is not like that average player story, but he took every opportunity to do every internship, go to every function, meet every company, every buckeye, and he, he selected an agent based on the ability of that agency to help him grow his network in New York City. Like he made all these decisions that he wasn't the only one being coached and led down this path. He made those decisions, right? And he he used Ohio State, which is the key, right? Use the college as they use you because they are, right? And if you yeah. do both and now you can get – you're free to go make money because your name is Austin Mack and you play football, I think that's a pretty good deal. I think they're going to make a decent amount of money and they have the, the, the tools to have a ridiculous life if they do it right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well – on that note, I wanted I want to just ferry us toward wrapping this up. This has been an amazing college football sprint. Thanks so much for joining us, Zach. We've enjoyed your commentary and perspective today. Um, let's give a quick highlight into the Ohio State Clemson game coming up. Do you have anything uh, top of mind that that our uh, listeners should be thinking about? You know, I, I think it's going to come down to really how how well can, can Ohio State score with Clemson because I, I think this game is going to be a, a high scoring game. And, and it's funny because Clemson has a history in big games of if you're a gambling guy and, you know, you, we have this gambling platform now, so I'm being educated on all this stuff. And they did it on Saturday against Notre Dame. They have a history in big games that they hit the under, right? They, because they play more conservatively. Their defense, Venables, does a great job. And it, I think they're like three to three and one in, in the playoffs hitting the under. 
right? Because they that's just how they play. So can Ohio State explode on offense? And can there is is it a high scoring game? I think Ohio State wins in a high scoring game. Clemson wins in a lower scoring game. I'm really looking at the over under. I think it was at 70. I don't know. I don't even want to put, say it because I don't know it. But whatever it is, if that score goes over the over, I think Ohio State wins. If it stays under the under, I think Clemson wins. Awesome. And we'll have another episode before that game, which is in about one and a half weeks from now. Um, so for everybody, until then, we'll be back with a more thorough deep dive into that. Have a Merry Christmas and a happy holidays for our uh, non-Christian friends. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Appreciate it, fellas. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. Fan of our content? Help us continue creating by supporting us on the Pilot Boys Podcast Patreon. Donations start at just $1, and there are some cool perks for higher-level donations. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes the Lasso Sock 2.0, the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding. So every single step is stable, soft, and cool. Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. All right. We are here for some news and notes. This is the December 24th version of the Pilot Boys podcast. It is Christmas Eve. And we're recording this a couple days before because we enjoy spending time with our families. V, are you ready to dive into some news and notes for the squad? Let's get it. Okay, so let's see. First things first, we have the new AirPod Max headphones, which have been you know, adequately memed over the course of the last <laughs> several several days. What's your thoughts on these, man? Um, I mean, first of all, I think that you know, there are such thing as premium headphones that you pay a premium for, um, you know, but I don't, the issue that I sometimes have with Apple is they just put a price tag on things because they know that it just makes it easier to fit into their, um, their spectrum of products, right? They, they adjust everything. Yeah. So it's easy to fit, but $500 for a pair of headphones that have been tested and don't measure up to other comparable $500 headphones it's kind of deceptive, and I think it underscores one of the larger issues that I think Apple has been having over the last decade or so. It just seems like they continually are only thinking about market share versus this is a company that was built off of building the best quality products in the marketplace, and it doesn't seem like that is the same motivation that's driving them now. It's just how do we create as many different revenue drivers as possible, and I think these headphones are just another example of that. Yeah, I will say, I bet they're freaking amazing. But from the standpoint of what I care to wear on my head going from place to place, I am plenty happy with my AirPod version one 
when those got a year old and you know like apple products when they died i bought a new set of version ones and they fit me perfectly i don't want the noise canceling i don't like noise canceling headphones so yeah you know i love it i'm i'm super happy with the old product but dude they look good man they look really good cool. they're stat, they're a status symbol that's that's yeah. what i think um consumer and product marketing has become is the understanding that there are certain products that people that's what happened with beats you know beats headphones are yeah. not are not the, the there are better quality headphones on the market than the beats headphones but their branding and marketing is better quite frankly and that's why they've been successful in the same thing with apple like people are going to buy these headphones so that when people see them they know that they've got the max headphones and know the exact price tag that was attached to that purpose <laughs> to that purchase yeah great point great point man apple apple is always winning so next up bitcoin is going crazy again you know i'm a big fan of the cryptocurrency world and so this is not a surprise to me how did you feel v seeing it get to a new all-time high um pretty good because i own a little bit yeah me too you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's this thing has been fascinating for me at the outset you know about two years ago there's it started to get on my radar two or three years ago um before the big run-up happened and people kept telling me get into Bitcoin, get into Bitcoin. And it just was hard for my mind to wrap around the fact that they just created a cur basically a currency exchange instrument out of thin air. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but then as I've, I've, I've gotten more into this and I've, I've learned more about it, it's starting to make a lot more sense in terms of the underlying technology behind it, um, as well as how easy it makes specifically foreign exchange, right? Because foreign exchange of currency on transactions is very difficult as well. And then also with real currency, the dollar and other real currencies kind of under the pressure that they're in, I think that there's a, uh, there's a lot of speculation on Bitcoin as a currency um, moving forward. And that's what's driving this up again is, is a lot of speculation. I don't know enough to know where it's going to go, but enough smart people told me, Hey, get into this thing that I was like, okay, let me, let me put a little bit into it. Not, not my life savings or anything, but just another play and in investment, a small investment that I've made too. And I'm just put it in and hopefully it runs up to a million dollars a coin. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> I'm with you on Bitcoin. I don't see it as a means of actually being a feasible currency i think there will be something that comes in after the fact that's a much more efficient tool for the types of transactions we go through on a daily basis but i see bitcoin as an index symbol for the cryptocurrency market and that's why i'm bullish on it because i don't really care if it has any any real use i just care that people continue to develop with blockchain yeah that's the key i mean the question that i have is i understand bitcoin i understand how it works but it seems like it's fairly easy to create a new cryptocurrency. And it's like during that run up before it was like all these other coins started showing up. So is this just a, a new market in which a small number of players you think are going to end up being the winners? Or do you think there's potential for hundreds of cryptocurrencies serving the same purpose? And if so, that should undermine the overall value of Bitcoin, right? If there are other currencies that can be used for the same same purposes or other tokens that can be used for the same purpose well yes and no i think the best way to look at it is like 
like more like a new marketplace where you know cryptocurrencies are essentially ways for you to buy into uh, softwares or companies that are doing things that that are useful for you, right? There's some that are tied to storage, so you'll buy a token and it it equates to some amount of file storage digitally that's being shared, and that's how those networks are financed and built. And you know, there's a, there's a million different things that each token can stand for in each use case, but you know, my my perspective and my take on it is essentially this is the new way and decentralized way to build businesses moving forward. It takes away a lot of the old power dynamics that exist with building a business the traditional way. And something I love about it is, you know, the the whole process of using a decentralized network to build out a business is in itself more transparent than really any other means you can go through. And so when you look at, you know, what what it means to invest in a cryptocurrency, my view is that you're really buying into that decentralized future of what businesses can look like, what they can run like. And then from the standpoint of Bitcoin specifically, you know, I see it as a symbol currency. It might not be the most efficient. It might not be the best at doing anything, but it's the one that everything else is built off of that and Ethereum. So you either have to have one or the other to be able to transact into most of the other types of coins. So for that reason, it has value, but purely because Really, at the end of the day, it's as much a brand as it is, you know, a tool. Mm-hmm. So I'm the same way stocks work. Yeah, makes sense. So let's talk about some good news for for the people, for all of us. The new stimulus bill has finally passed. Thank God. So after months and months, uh, they have new PPP loans coming out. They have uh, assistance to airlines. You know, one of one of the cool stories that you told me the other day, V, was the impact this makes on some folks that you know uh, personally who work in the air- airline industry, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, it looks like a pretty meaningful bill. It gives you uh, about it's $600 if you made less than 75, 75K in 2019, and that amount drops. You know, it's not significantly meaningful from the standpoint of what this cash does, but it also adds assistance to the unemployment programs. And, you know, in general, does does a decent amount uh, for creating impact. Uh, what's your take on the stimulus stimulus bill? Uh, I think it's great. It's obviously three months too late um, because I think there's been a lot of damage that's already been done um, as a result of the lapse. And again, you know, people are like, you just want people to give free money. No, I don't want people to give free money. I, val- I understand and value money, but there's a whole consumer economy and a small business economy that has suffered as a result of the lapse in the between the last stimulus and this stimulus. Um, and then in addition, the government continues to tell people they can't work or run their businesses to make money. So if you if you're going to set all these rules, then you better compensate people for the for the basically the the the, the compromises that they're making in their personal life for the greater good. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just sad. It's just a sad, sad state. I hate our government and the way that it operates. Essentially, the reason that they passed this bill is because they were at risk of being shut down if they didn't pass a bill. So basically, waited until the 25th hour, like they always do, to finally pass a bill. And yes, I do. It, with that being said, I'm happy that they're doing something. 
and hopefully people are are rewarded and that this continues and we don't suffer another issue like this because until we're able to fully open back up our economy things are not going to get better we're a kind of economy that runs on consumption so we do need to keep people consuming and how do you keep people consuming is by keeping money flowing in our economy and as many ways as we can figure out how to do that i'm a, i'm a supporter of yeah i'm on board for that too um, I think one of the reasons people get frustrated is, you know, we saw another headline this morning that is uh, public backlash because a city spent its COVID relief money. Uh, this is a city called uh, Forest Lake, and they spent their COVID relief money on a new clubhouse for their golf course instead of, you know, meaningful things. So yeah, I play golf. I play a lot of golf and a lot of people are playing golf due to COVID. But a lot of golf courses are just saying don't come in the clubhouse, which is totally fine for an outdoor sport. So <laughs> it's pretty interesting to see um, with any sort of you know government aid or any sort of you know benefit, there's going to be people that abuse it, and I'm sure that's you know immensely frustrating for the people that are really dealing with the consequences of not being able to work due to the shutdowns. Yeah, I mean it's it's intentional. What happens? There's a $3.1 trillion stimulus passed. We need to have some oversight on what's being a better oversight on what's that money actually is going toward. There's, there's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of, of, of things going on behind the scenes when you're talking about that sum of money. It's easy for things to slip through the cracks at times. And so how are these cities spending money? What can they spend their money on? What, who's getting a loan, having strict guidelines and making sure that those, guidelines are enforced um, is very important in times like this because as, as we know anywhere that there's power and there's money there is always corruption yeah yeah spot on so jumping forward uh, this, this is a, my take on the headline uh, your Amazon prime truck has been stolen V why are people stealing Amazon prime trucks what is this? <laughs> Well, I think it probably has something to do with the lack of a stimulus bill. People are really, really starving in these streets. You know, not everyone qualifies for unemployment. Not everyone, you know, a lot of a lot of people, even if they do qualify for unemployment, people who work in restaurant industries and stuff like that, a lot of un unemployment is based on your hourly wage, not factoring in that these people mostly make their money on tips. So there's a whole lot of people who are suffering right now. And I think what's what's happened is people see the Amazon Prime truck and see an opportunity, a truck full of goods and merchandise during the Christmas season. We all are always told that during the holiday season to exercise more caution, be aware of your surroundings. And I guess, you know, these Amazon Prime drivers have been caught slipping, leaving the car on while they go deliver packages with the keys and the, <laughs> with the keys and the ignition it's things like this are going to happen especially at a time like this desperate people do desperate things you know and it's just sad that we have to deal with this because you think about the actual impact of this this is the holiday season and people are ordering mostly gifts for other people and their friends and family and this is causing real problems for people, right? Beyond just losing your stuff, Amazon will replace it. But if you're delivering a gift specifically for Christmas and now the person doesn't get their gift until January 1st or wherever, it's a problem. But, you know, we just, we just 
got to do better. Yeah. Yeah. So on, you know, probably the darkest headline we've ever covered on this podcast, <laughs> uh, there were 3 million deaths in the U.S. in 2020. Um, that sounds, when I saw this headline, I was like, wow, this coronavirus is crazy. Well, it turns out that last year we had 2.8 million deaths. And so, you know, roughly, we're just above 3 million for this year, roughly a 400,000 death increase, uh, of which 300,000 are attributed to the coronavirus. So it was the number one killer in America this year with that number of 300,000. It just gives you context as to how diverse the causes of death are, first of all. Uh, but second, with an aging population uh, and with a virus, obviously, you know, cause for concern in a developing nation that's trying to improve metrics like this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is not the number that we want to lead in as the United States, the most developed nation in the world. We want to be leading in, in preventing deaths, not, not having a, a record number of deaths. You know, obviously COVID is a factor, but even 2.8 million seems like a alarming number with a population um, the size of ours. Uh, it's just, you know, continue continue to live a healthy lifestyle people need to figure out how to live healthier lifestyles there's a lot of stress that comes with capitalism there's so many factors that cause us to become unhealthy i just think it's important for us all to, to kind of look in the mirror and say how can we take better care of ourselves individually um to try to keep keep curtail some of these numbers moving forward 100 percent. you know and i, I want to highlight this is the largest single year jump since world war one for the u.s from one year to the next, from a death count standpoint, we expect a two to four percent rise each year in the U.S. because of the aging population, the baby boomer generation. Um, one of the stats here that was, you know, concerning for me was the eighty-one thousand drug overdose deaths that we saw this year that were unexpected, and I think that has to do with just the, you know, the general lack of hope people sometimes feel during you know situations like the virus that, that have been going on and just just the overall landscape of the us right now and i want to take a moment just tell our listeners you know there there's a lot of resources if you are struggling mentally if you feel yourself whether you're turning to drugs whether you feel depressed whatever you might be dealing with and the holiday season is a rough time for many so if you do need help know that there's a ton of resources around you there's suicide hotline you can reach out to but I also wanted to say if if you want to be you know a part of this community, feel free to DM or tweet at you know V or myself at at any point, and we'll engage with you. But uh, you know a big part of us doing this podcast and building this community is so that people have a greater sense of belonging and a desire to you know dream, be themselves, and find some happiness and purpose in life. And so. You know, that, that's a big deal. And if you're struggling with that, we're here to help, as are many, many people around you. Yep. Yep. Let's let's make next year a better year than this year. Yeah, straight up. I'm glad we get to wrap, put a bow on this 2020. We have one more episode in this year. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we've we've covered a lot of negative headlines. And you know, neither one of us really wants to to constantly be the bearer of bad news, but this is the news that we're dealing with. And I think sometimes some of these negative stories, why we talk about them is to give them context. Everything is so polarized to kind of have good conversation around them versus just 
just kind of sulking in whatever position you want to take. Just let's have the dialogue around it and see why the issue is an issue. Um, that's that's kind of what we what we want to keep doing. Yep, exactly, exactly. So moving on to some of the you know more fun headlines. Uh, I want to start here. So New York actually just uh, uh, banned displays of the Confederate flag and other hate symbols on state-owned property. Thank you, New York. Yes. Thank you. Yes, that's uh, that's what every state should be doing. Hopefully, <laughs> every city and state. Um, we are the United States of America. There was a war fought over this. Confederacy is over with now if you want to keep your stuff in the basement and be a rebel that's fine but to put confederate flags on any uh united states owned property doesn't seem to make a lot of sense yeah and it's i mean how i feel about the whole confederate flag thing too is like the argument i primarily here is that you know this is this is our history and it's like great it's even more reason to forget it like that's a gruesome history you want to celebrate yeah and you know what's funny is you know when i went to germany a couple years back and i went to some of the you know the museums and stuff that they have they have completely erased that period of time of nazi germany from their history books from their their museums from everything it's something that they're ashamed of that their country you know was a part of something so atrocious and so the country is just eliminated it they don't like talking about it you bring it up to them they get they get real bothered and embarrassed and it's something that i think you know we should you know be embarrassed about by not glorify you know what what that flag represents um and, and during that time period in america and continues to represent to a degree um which is hate yeah yeah absolutely yeah i i I don't know if there's really that much else to say. I get exhausted covering any sort of racial headline because we've had so much conversation of it this year. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, I just feel like it's so easy to just care about people who also live in the same country as you. And, you know, if you're out there, like, let's all do that, man. Yeah. Be a little nicer to each other. You definitely need to definitely need to try. Yeah. And if you have friends in New York, tell them to stop flying their Confederate flags, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> um, one of the ones that cracks me up. So Russia, you know, we all know had their doping scandal in, in the Olympics and uh, they got banned from using their name, their flag or their national anthem at the next two Olympics or at any world championship for the next two years. So that's first of all, Russian athletes can still compete. It's just the country of Russia cannot take any joy out of winning which is hilarious. So the um, the team name Russia can be retained on uniforms if the words neutral athlete or neutral team have equal prominence. So they have to write like Russian neutral athlete. Wow, so that's, that's hilarious. That's it's hilarious. It's deep too. And, you know, I think, you know, there's there's been controversy around both Russian and Chinese Olympic athletes for quite a while now. Um, and you know, I, I don't really, I don't want to, I don't know if they're, if they're tapping into this, so I don't want to say anything, any commentary that, that might, might upset Mr. Putin, but, um, this is a very interesting development. And I think, you know, it is about what are the Olympics about? It's about national pride. And I think if you are going to issue a punishment, this punishment actually does make sense. The consequences of you 
doing things that compromise that are that we're not going to recognize your nation or your country for their wins. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's like, it's the exact kind of punishment you would receive if you were a kid and you act out, right. You like lose like something you desperately want. Yeah. And yeah, to your point, I mean, that's, that's what they care about. And you know, the, the thing that's always gotten me is especially in sporting events, like what is the point of cheating? Because you can win, but you know, you didn't, you didn't actually earn that. It's just, it's far more rewarding to win the real way. It's harder. It's much, much harder. But when you go through the process and you win like that, it's the most fulfilling feeling. In life. Yeah. I mean, the problem with some of these Olympic sports is, you know, and I always say this, like if you're a world-class sprinter, the difference between winning and losing is like a hundredth of a second sometimes. Yeah. You know, and when you create an environment where you are training to win, it's like, I don't, I don't condone it, but I understand why it's so prevalent in these sports because, you know, one of the things with, with Lance Armstrong that I think is, is not brought up enough is that, yes, he was doping, but so was every single person that placed in the Tour de France during those yeah. years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, performance enhancing drugs, like many other issues, I think is something that needs to be addressed and we need to have more of a, a, a a clear process on how we're going to do this and and what's going to be legal and what's not. And, and also making sure that people can't get away with, with cheating. Um, Yeah. If it is cheating, you have, it has to be a level playing field. Yeah, absolutely. So a fun headline. I did not know that this was possible. There's a treasure hunter in jail and he hid 500 gold coins. He discovered, he won't say where he hid them, but he said, he has them in a trust in Belize and he's not in jail because he's, he, he stole the coins. He's not in jail for any reason other than contempt of court. Cause he won't answer any questions. The reason he's in jail for contempt of court is because he found uh, private investors. I think it was some hundred plus investors. He raised $12 million to finance his treasure hunting expedition. He went and found this sunken ship, extracted it, and then hid some of the gold once he realized it was only worth two or three million dollars. So what the heck is going on, man? I didn't even know this stuff was real. Well, I mean, they don't want you to have untaxed and unaccounted for money, I guess, and the consequences for that are severe always. So don't ever, don't ever test big brother. That's so funny. It's the investors that are mad too, because they didn't get paid back on oh, wow. their investment. So this guy, they they exceeded the 18 month maximum that is typical for a contempt of court charge. And he's in for five years. Oh wow. And he That's says crazy. he has a rare medical condition that causes him to lose his short term memory. Sounds 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 like it's going to be an interesting story for a little while. We should yeah. keep track of this thing and see what yeah. happens. There's a real good TV show there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, the MLB does the right thing, starts qualifying everyone who played in the Negro Leagues. So that's 3,400 players of African American descent um, as major league ball players. So it gives much overdue recognition to these 3,400 players. It's good, good to see people do the right thing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's been some, 
the, the the good things that I've seen this year is I feel like with everything that's going on, some people are definitely starting to recognize some of their wrongs. And this is also why I think it's important. People say, well, you shouldn't always talk about these things. But I think a lot of these, these ch changes or even symbolic changes are happening because there is pressure from us as citizens um, generally to start making some changes in, in some of these, some of these areas that are just clearly wrong. Yeah. A hundred percent. So moving forward into our sports realm again, we've got Mr. James Harden, who's been hilarious this start of the season. Um, he's caught his fair share of drama and now the heat have backed out of the trade talks, which by the way, if you're the heat, there's no chance you should let go of somebody like Tyler Harrow for any player just not worth the risk reward this kid's already going to be a star he's got the personality yeah. for it. he's got the game for it just don't don't mess with something that works yeah and i think you know that the jury is out whether james harden he's a great individual basketball player one of the most skilled offensive players ever in the history of the game but it just seems like issue after issue keeps coming up you know it seemed like russell westbrook who's actually one of his good friends didn't like the environment that they had created in Houston. It's almost like, okay, James, if, if you want your power and your privilege, because as long as you show that Rockets took a position, as long as he shows up and he plays well in the games, we don't care what he does on his time. But now he wants out. And if you want out of a situation, be careful what you're asking for, right? Because are you going to be able to go? Because I don't know if a guy who wants those kind of liberties would even do well in a Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra system anyways, you know? 100%. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a interesting. I don't want to, not bashing James Harden for being who he is because he's a great performer. Maybe that's what works for him. You know, Dennis Rodman got a lot of liberty because he performed when he needed to perform, you know? Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, maybe James should start considering, like, I, if I want to go to another organization, let me give them some peace of mind in, in what they're getting um, versus trying to do all these things to ruffle feathers. I think he got got into it with uh, with a guy. And I also don't know how much we can trust these little rumors and reports that are coming out because now it's a story. It's it's popular for us to talk about disgruntled James Harden, right? So. <laughs> A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. It's funny to see all the coverage and, you know, you see the media machine working to try and have its impact on the league as well. Yeah. It's like this story is hitting some buttons. Let's keep going with it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, up next, we, this is a heartwarming set of video clips. If you haven't seen them, I urge you. Tiger Woods' son, Charlie Woods, is an amazing golfer. And he hit his first, was maybe not his first, but he hit an eagle in a competition over the past week that has been all over TikTok, all over Instagram. And I saw so many compilations of his swing versus his dad's, just wearing the same red outfit on Sunday. I mean, the kid's adorable, man. And he's a really good golfer. Yeah. And it seems like he's got Tiger's competitive streak um, as well. It's just good to see with everything that, that, Tiger dealt with publicly. Um, it's clear that he plays a important role in his son's life, and he takes that that role seriously. Um, and perhaps, 
you know, that, that experience gave him, you know, every situation you learn from, and maybe it, it, it seems like it put into greater perspective um, for him, his role as a father, clearly, because there's no way that this kid is this talented if his father's not playing a role in that, you know? Yeah, seriously. Seriously, man. And uh, I don't, I didn't see the context of the tournament. Did you happen to grab any of that? No, I didn't. I think it was, I didn't see, I think it was a bunch of team. I don't, I don't know. I just saw the clip and I was, I loved it. So <laughs> Dude, me too. I mean, it's, it's fun to see a little kid crush it at golf. If you haven't seen yeah. it, you just absolutely should Google Charlie Woods. Or he hit an Eagle. <laughs> yeah. And it was unbelievable, man. It was a really good swing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if I could golf like him, I'd probably, probably have a few, a few more business deals put together. Yeah. Maybe he can um, coach it. I know, right? Maybe he can coach me. Uh, in other news, Mr. Antetokounmpo from uh, Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo, signed the Supermax deal, which amazing for him. Huge payday from someone who came from Greece to the U.S. to play basketball, uh, a family of basketball players. Just such an inspiring, inspiring story. Great to see somebody get paid and really make something of themselves. And, you know, build a, a great personal brand in the process, especially such a genuine star, which is, you know, it's it's rare to see. Yeah, it is. I mean, he deserves and he's earned the right to be the highest paid player in the NBA because of the impact that he's made on the franchise that he plays for. Um, and this story is very special from a from an economic standpoint because of the impact that the Giannis has had on the city of Milwaukee and the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, I was, I was reading about this, you know, on average, that's, there's 5,000 more fans that go to a game. That's more ticket revenue. That's more concessions sold. That's more revenue, tax revenue for the city. In addition to that, they've been making the playoffs and they said that each NBA playoff game in the city of Milwaukee has a $3 million impact on the local hotels, the local wow. part-time jobs, all of these, all of those things. And finally, they are on TV more now. The Milwaukee Bucks are covered on national TV. So that's also generating revenue. And I think a lot of people get this, this when they see these athlete salary price tags, they get a little frustrated like a basketball player doesn't deserve this much money just to play a damn game. But in America and in capitalism, oftentimes your salary is dictated by the value that you're generating or you're creating for your company, right? If you're making $100,000 a year at your job, you're likely generating over a million dollars for your company, or they wouldn't continue to hold onto you as an employee. And so that's, that's the same way we need to look at these salaries. Yes, maybe our priorities as a country are out of whack in the sense that, you know, we, we value sports as much as, as we do, but that's our problem. It's not the athlete's problem. They're just, they're just capitalizing on what the market dictates. And the truth is there's more of an argument that Giannis, Giannis is underpaid um, considering the value that he brings versus overpaid. Yeah. And it, it's actually quite likely anybody on a max salary is it's very likely to be underpaid in uh, mm -hmm. any sport as opposed to over given their economic value. Um, one other thing that I thought was really funny about this was seeing uh, King James throw a little, little shade over at Giannis. Uh, I think the recruiting effort to L.A. probably wasn't as successful as he hoped. And he made sure to underscore that Giannis's path and his path were in no way 
the same and people should not look at them as the same when it comes to the standpoint of making this decision. So I think that's, that's a little jab from him saying, Hey, this guy doesn't want to win as bad as I do. Otherwise he would have come to LA. Well, he wants to win more. He wants to win just as badly, you know? And the thing is, I think sometimes guys just need to, to sit on their comments because look, if Giannis needs to be admired for staying in his, in his city that drafted him and taking the hard path, he may or may not win. But, you know, we all know if Giannis went to Miami and just joined forces with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, that they're going to win a championship. They just will. So I do think that it deserves more respect. I'm a huge LeBron fan, um, but his path was different. He chose a smart path to winning a championship. Kevin Durant chose that as well. But we should always admire a guy who's willing to stick it out and take the hard way. And there's no shade that should be sent his way at all. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, I'll say personally, I don't find it super likely that he'll be winning a championship in Milwaukee, but I definitely understand and appreciate the kind of mentality of being the first in your family to earn in that meaningful way. You know, I'm, I don't undergo it to that degree. Right. But, um, Giannis coming from Greece to here, I think there's just a significant impact that the finances make that just goes so much further than the game of basketball, that the priorities are likely very different for him in terms of making a decision like this, uh, than, than anybody else. And, you know, he's also risking potential injury and all of these other factors that, that could spring up in this next phase of his career. You know, we have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also something that we all need to look at and admire in this sense, which is Giannis is showing appreciation for the city of Milwaukee, the organization that drafted him, because a lot of teams didn't think that he was going to be this superstar. They drafted him in the first round. They gave him an opportunity. They built a franchise around him. And I think sometimes we always say, oh, yeah, look out for what's best for yourself. Look out for what's best for yourself. But I think that's also part of what's hurting our culture is that everyone is looking out for self-interest and not considering what could happen. Him leaving Milwaukee would have a significant negative economic impact on a lot of people there. And I think he did also, not just his personal position, but he also looked at it from the city. And I think that that should be admired that he, he, he looked at this from not just his own perspective. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to see if he gets more involved in the city. I know that they changed the way that they do the budget for the police recently. They have a lot of changes that they're making given the incidents over the summer. So um, it'll be interesting to see the effect the Milwaukee Bucks have on um, on actually, you know, improving race relations up there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, This is a V headline. Of course, DMX has turned 50. Yeah, this is a this is a big deal. This is a one of my favorite albums. Um, one of my favorite artists. Can't believe he's fifty years old. You know, made it to fifty is is something that we should all be happy about, considering some of the struggles um, that he's had. But he's just a national treasure. He's one hundred percent authentic, who he is, and in his music, um, has provided a lot of inspiration for a lot of people. Because although we don't all have his same story. We appreciate people who are who are real and genuine and authentic, and that's who and what DMX is and always has been. Have you hung out with DMX before? I've met him. I haven't hung out with him. That's dope. 
That's dope. Was he like awesome? <laughs> he was a little intimidating, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it wasn't, I didn't get a real chance to engage with him. Like I've been able to engage with other people. I would love to be in a room with DMX for like an hour and just pick his brain. Cause, yeah. um, I, I think, uh, he's a very unique, unique, hopefully we can get him on our podcast one day. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's not unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a versus battle coming up, uh, with E40 and too short. It just passed. You're comment on this one, V. Did it just pass? Yeah, it just passed. That's I mean, the only kind the, the the commentary on the commentary on this one is that I think um, this was a valuable versus because I know, and you know, people from the Bay Area, they have their own unique culture and their own unique culture within hip hop that I think was valuable to recognize here. You know, I know a lot of general music fans may not relate to some of the, 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 the Oakland era style type music, but it's, it's good that versus gave them a platform as well to, for their fans and for all the people who do support and love that style of music. And they're those two artists. That's a good point. And, you know, I'll, I'll give away my youth here, but I didn't really get turned on to that that side of hip hop until I got into G Easy, who works a lot with the Bay Area artists, and the bounce, the energy is super different over there than anywhere else. Yeah, it is. It is, and they're happy, and they have an identity, and they like to stick with it. And that's one thing I applaud and respect about musicians from the Bay. That's awesome. And then finally, coming out in March on Amazon Prime. We have the sequel to the original Coming to America, Coming Number Two, America, starring Eddie Murphy. I'm excited about this, man. There's a lot of legends in here. So I want to highlight that uh, Kenya Barris was involved in writing this. And, you know, I, I'm such a fan of his work. I ran into him at uh, Soho House the other day and I cracked up because his, like, his like mopey gait that he makes fun of himself for in black AF is exactly how he moves around. And it was hilarious. Yeah. You can tell that it's authentic when you watch that yeah. show, um, that that's probably exactly who he is as a person. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I think coming to America is one of the funniest movies of all time. If I'm in a bad mood and I can find it, I turn it on. Um, and you know, Eddie Murphy coming back, on this stage, Arsenio Hall, most of the original cast coming back as well. And I'm happy to see James Earl Jones, one of the most distinguished voices, still alive and yeah. still still acting and still involved um, as well. So we all need a good laugh. And I, I'm happy that Andy Murphy and crew are, are going to provide it to us. I, I have no doubt that this movie is going to be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, man. It's going to be a fun one. And I think going into uh, 21 and with all the changes in the film industry with how, how movies are being released now, I think one of the most exciting things that I've observed is that the desire for box office impact is no longer a driver for whether or not a movie gets made, but it's really about getting people to stay on your streaming platform. And so there's uh, either with new plots, a push for exciting and intriguing plots that pull you in and, and capture you along a journey, which uh, usually you can do for lower budget. So we're seeing a lot more of these adventure type of films, which are, you know, I love that. It's super exciting for me. Um, but on the flip, 
you also see a bias toward actors and actresses that have a level of familiarity with an audience, you know, which has always been there. But the taking away the pressure to make a sequel be a box office hit is huge because people aren't paying to watch this film when it drops, right? They're just going to stream yeah. it on Prime Video. And so it's probably going to have a ridiculous amount of people watching it. It's going to have a lot of people, you know, I think almost everyone has an Amazon Prime membership, a lot of people tuning in. And then from the standpoint of, you know, whatever the streaming company is is concerned, they have all these people tune in and engaged on their platform. That's all they're looking for is to keep you on there for a few hours. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's a scary landscape as you if you go and you look at the stock market and you look at these big movie theater companies. It's been a staple of our culture for a long time to kind of see how they adjust to this and what's going to happen um, moving forward. Is this is this are have people adapted to this model or are people still want that movie theater experience or have people over this last year adapted to the new market and the new new technology in a in a way that makes that um, less valuable to them. We're going to see that coming soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, now we're getting to the end of this news and notes. V, do you have anything that you want to share? Some maybe departing thoughts related to the upcoming holiday? Well, I just want everyone to have a, a, a happy and safe holiday. Um, re remember that we are still in a pandemic. Exercise caution, be smart. Um, but with that said, still do what you think is right to enjoy the holiday, period. You know, I think um, this is a very valuable time for a lot of us because it allows us to take a break and unwind from kind of the stress of everything that we have going on in our day-to-day -day lives um, and just relax a little bit. And I, that's what I encourage people to do. I'm going to spend some time reading disconnecting and, and decompressing from work and and hopefully enjoying enjoying this time toward the end of 2020 and looking forward to a much better 2021 i don't know if you have anything to add kind of the same thing over here man ready to relax rest up a little bit and we'll talk to you guys in the new year I love those